Hi friends, my name is Eric Barnett, and I'm a singer-songwriter from Charleston, South Carolina, and you're listening to Songs of the Unsung. Songs of the Unsung is a podcast where I talk to fellow singer-songwriters about their influences, their music, and the craft. This week's guest is Joshua Jarman. In addition to being a fantastic singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, Joshua is an exceptional guitarist. He does a lot of extended technique stuff, uh, tapping, fingerstyle playing. You just have to see it. This Friday, you can catch Joshua and myself opening for Ron Daniel at his Country Made for Kings album release party. It's at Coastal Coffee Roasters, 6 p.m. Also on the bill is Anna Crosby and Dan Riley and his band, The Marvelous Misfits. Make sure you listen to previous episodes of Songs of the Unsung, where you can learn about Ron Daniel and the album, and also learn Dan Riley's story. But for now, let's head to my conversation with Joshua Jarman. Thanks for coming out today, Joshua. You're quite welcome. Good to have you on the podcast, and uh, look forward to getting to know a little bit more about you and your music. I'm glad to talk about it, man. I first met you, I don't know if you remember this, but I think you were running an open mic out at Coastal Coffee Roasters. Okay, that sounds about right. And I had just moved here. It was probably four or five years ago. And I was trying to hit a lot of kind of local open mics. I was really shy and everything. And um, I got there and it was it was a drive to Somerville. You just did the reverse of that. So yes. you know how yeah. that can be, especially like at rush hour. And I'd gotten there and the list was pretty long. So I went and put my name on. And it was there was a lot of folks there and it was kind of getting late in the in the open mic and there is something that happens, and this happens in every open mic, where sometimes people get up and play their own songs, and then they get up with their buddy mm-hmm. and play some more songs with their buddy, and then another one of their other buddies get up and they play some more songs with their buddies. And that person's been up there the whole night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it gets to, and I'm, and I'm sitting there like, not, <laughs> okay, maybe I was being a little salty about the same folks, and like it, it, it really gotten down to where, and you were trying to kind of speed the process along and everything, and I could tell, but it it gotten to like where there wasn't much time left, and it was like me and a couple other people sure. to go, and I, I was kind of more frustrated at them than than with you, and but I got up and you're like, hey man, can you just do like one song, <sighs> and and I am never like this. I said, man, my songs are two minutes long. I'm gonna do two songs, and you were just like. All, All right. right. All right, then. <laughs> that sounds about right. That's not my style. I, I typically don't do that, but yeah, I my song, I literally have a song that's like two minutes, 12, and another one. I was like, I'll do two real quick ones. You were like, yeah, that's okay. Well, sometimes you can tell when someone's not usually that way, but they're like, listen, this is how it is. I'm yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I admire that. It, so, yeah, I'm sorry if that was a bad first impression, but then oh, I, I, I met you again, um... I saw you and Ben somewhere and Roger play over at the Tin Roof, and it was excellent seeing. Yeah, you I, I recall that uh, re meeting there. And yeah. uh, in the meantime, you had started this podcast and had yeah. a few things going on locally, so we had some stuff to talk about, which was cool. Yeah, um, I, man, I miss doing the open mic at Coastal for a lot of reasons. Of course, I got to meet a lot of great artists, including yourself, just doing that. But man, it got hard at the end when we were trying to push. Like there was a, a time where it was successful, but yeah. we didn't have the time to get everyone in, and yeah. Um, 
there's nothing worse than telling someone, uh, the worst case, you know, that I can't have you play tonight, please <laughs> right, come yeah. back next week. And they're like, I drove here from Orangeburg. And I'm right. like, dude, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying my best. But um, yeah, I'm glad to, you know, have opportunities like this because of that, Yeah, you know, that place. And For sure. It seems like there's a kind of a life cycle to open mics where, you know, they start and there's typically nobody there mm -hmm. and then you'll get there and it'll be maybe three people and you just kind of rotate through all night. And the, the host is just like, man, I hope I can keep this job. Yep. And then it starts to get to the point where it gains a little traction and that's sort of, there's like a, there's like a perfect zone in there where it, it has like the, just the right amount of traction. The right smooth. The yeah. wheels are greased. Yep. Yeah. And the people are coming and they're all hanging out and, they, and they're having a great time. But then there, there comes a point where I'm not saying all open mics go this way. I'm just saying some do where some open mics get to where you have people who break with the protocol. Like, Oh, I'm going to play an eight minute song or, or <laughs> yes. So I had people beginning to do that. So, yeah. uh, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, it's true. They, they were like, you know, okay, I, I understand we're doing one song this week or whatever. There was a, uh, especially after quarantine, we, tr we tried it again with different hours and they weren't staying open as late sure. if, if, as things were. So, uh, people were like, okay, I'll just do one song. Well, that's a 15 song medley, dude. You just played like all these <laughs> tunes you wrote together and you're smiling at me the whole yeah. time. I'm like, dude, that you're being a butthead. Don't do that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and you're, you're going to see that anywhere you yeah. go. Nothing's, and some people, some people it's kind of unintentional. I don't know. It's if, true. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure people, I give them the credit of they're not being malicious, but right. it's awful convenient sometimes. You're sure. like, come on, yeah. you never play medleys. <laughs> right. 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 Or like, uh, I don't know. There was, there was, uh, one I've been to where it was like a group of four people and they were giving people three songs. So the four people would sign up and it was basically, they had an hour gig. Like they all kind of sat in together and they're like, Oh, we're going to rotate. Th you know, it, and that's cool. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. guess that's cool, but don't call it an open mic. If right. It's, yeah. 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 For sure. I miss doing those though. I know that you're doing one now locally. So, uh, you, are you not doing an open mic? No, no. Nope, Were you doing nope. one locally recently? I, with this podcast, I was actually doing, and it was a songwriter showcase. Was. So it was not an open mic, it was no. invite only. Yeah, it was the three people who were on, I would do three episodes and then a showcase of those Oh, that's people. awesome. What a cool premise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking to get it started back up again. Uh, as, as always, I, you want to try to find a place where, how do you find a place that's a listening room? where people are going to go listen and people are going to go and you don't have to sell tickets, but the bar or how, whoever it is feels like they'll still pay you. And that uh, to me, that so far that's a, a combination that doesn't seem to exist. <laughs> it does in some cities though. And that's, yeah. that's what becomes kind of frustrating. I love our town. I love our surrounding towns. The, the community, the, the little essence of flavor of small yeah. townedness is, is beautiful and it's getting more and more rare, but, what you just said is something that's haunted me, especially for the last five years, that we don't have venues. We don't have places that are creatively uh, bringing people in and then they enjoy things like local beer and then they enjoy things yeah. like, you know, we go to local breweries and then you enjoy a yeah. little taste of music. Yeah. Uh, man, I've wanted to open a place that is a storefront with a venue in the back for, mm. for years. And I think it would do really well somewhere in the little tri-county hub here. Yeah. But uh, that would offer, like, say you had an open mic there that was specifically a listening room. You go there and it's original music only or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, 
I feel like any town really needs that. That's what's going to kind of yeah. keep everything stimulated and, and creative. But You know, it's not like it's not like these things don't exist at all. They exist in sort of pieces and parts in different places. Uh, all in all green, what Eddie White's doing out no there doubt. and has been doing for, what, 15 years? He has, Maybe and he's been very successful and, and, and involved a lot of different people. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, what Danielle Howell was doing out at Holy City Confessionals for a while. That's and, true. And, and she had that really going. Uh, what George Fox is currently doing at Chico Feo on Mondays. But again, it's not necessarily a listening environment. And those are establishments that are uh, specifically built for something else and are allowing the yes. creative space. Yes. Whereas, I guess in my imagination, you'd have a giant creatively fueled space. Maybe the, the venue is only open after four o'clock in the evenings, yeah. but up until that point you have, uh, I don't know, like a, a store and maybe like a little mingle area for people to sure. meet other musicians. Sure. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like those things existed more so in decades past. And yeah. as we're, I don't know, getting more comfortable with the digital space, stuff like that, people are just less likely to show up to places like that. And how can you yeah. stay above water if you don't have, uh, the local beer, the local food, right. things like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, it, especially with the, with the rent in Charleston to actually have a place like that. Rent anywhere for anything. Oh yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, those <laughs> kinds of a commercial space a zone that way big enough to do that and far enough away from things for sound ordinance or yeah. whatever else you might yeah. have, you're going to be paying a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you want a place for people to park. <laughs> yeah. Logistics. That's something yeah. people don't think about. Yeah. Like I got this great spot. I'm like, yeah, we can't park here. We got to go four blocks down and walk. That's yeah, not cool. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, some someday somebody's gonna thread the needle and figure out how to do that, and it's it'll come together. If someone yeah. wants it bad enough, that's how things how things work. And the money will come. It's just the 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 want is there for it. People don't necessarily know they want it, but I think they do. Well, you find the investors that always wanted to be a musician and had yeah. to do something else, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, I'd love to support that." Yeah. So. And uh, I always do a little bit of research before people, just so I'm not asking you the same standard questions you get asked every time. Uh, so a couple really good resources to learn more about Joshua is a really good Somerville Journal scene article. It's on the Post and Courier website. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, really good city paper article. A couple uh, podcasts he's done on Craft Conversation with Brian Dales. Yep. I'll post links to those. And he was the Mufix Songwriter of the Month for September 2018. Also post a, post that his interview with Kevin Church and love those guys. Yeah, yep. yeah, they're good good folks. Um, originally from Somerville, uh, from Ridgeville actually. Ridgeville, so, okay. Uh, outside yep. of Somerville, enough to where no one knows you there. You have to go to Somerville to kind of have community. <laughs> you you start out by saying. I'm from Somerville, and they go, oh, no, I'm from Somerville. I know that, oh, okay, well, then I'm from Ridgeville. That's right. <laughs> and if they don't know any of that, we're just from Charleston. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, started playing guitar at seven, you said. Yep, that's true. Uh, teaching yourself, or do you have anybody showing you? Any lessons? So I got that instead of a football, I like to joke. And <laughs> uh, arguably at a young age, I was just strumming and trying to emulate. You know, I used to watch videos of Angus Young at Donington and try to, oh, try to like, just emulate these awesome rock stars. I didn't understand rock star at the point, you know, like how do these humans get to play for 10,000 people? Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, by the time I was 10, I was trying to learn like 12 bar blues and, and hanging out with musicians, trying to be introduced at little picking parlors and stuff, nice. meet as many people as I could and, uh, keep it flowing in my mind, keep, keep wanting it, you know? 
Nice. Yeah. What kind of music were you listening to at that age? <clears throat> Besides for ACDC, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually not a huge ACDC fan, but I give credit there. As I've gotten yeah. older, I'm like, yeah. Uh, I grew up with Iron Maiden, uh, uh, late 80s Metallica. That's the kind of stuff I grew up listening sure. to. My dad was a big Pink Floyd person. Uh, so I got my, my dose of classic rock in there. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to... By the time I found my own music, rather, I was listening to metal. I was into like Kill Switch Engage, early Avenged oh, wow. Sevenfold, uh, Lamb of God came shortly after that. I was into, you know, Rebellion. I was like, let me see how heavy music I can tolerate sure. and yeah. be heavier than the next guy, yada, yada. I yeah. uh, started getting into he playing heavy guitar parts and, uh, yeah, I was in a screamo band for a while there. Corsica? So, yep, no. Corsica. Excellent. That was an awesome experience. I'll never, ever forget that. Yes. And uh, you said the guys in that band were kind of older than you. They were. They had me by about 10 years uh, at wow. the youngest. And uh, they kind of, they had a little bit more experience in playing in bands than I did. So I got to just jump right on <laughs> in with people who were already warmed up to it. It was yeah. awesome. And I was really uh, blessed to be able to hang, you know. That's and, awesome. Yeah. You know, typically in a band, if guys are going to tolerate somebody who's younger than them, Especially if he's a guitar player, because the guitar players are a dime a dozen. That means you could play. I, I, was, I was always <laughs> on point. The, the biggest issue that I ever had with them, because I had something to prove. I was a young guy. I wanted sure. the girls to look at me, you know? Yeah. I was like, uh, but I never moved on stage. They were like, dude, you're a <laughs> scarecrow on stage. You just stand there. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it went well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I learned a lot of things, probably not even as much musically, but about life. Kind of running around and doing that kind of thing. One of the, the greatest things uh, filled with lessons that I got to experience was recording at a legitimate studio mm. uh, at that time in Atlanta. And it just had all the rock star feels. It checked all these boxes for me. We had the whole week where we were renting the top half of the building and the bottom half was a studio. And um, to me, it was just the real deal, man. We all were just like, I mean, we didn't even have hot water in the house for whatever reason. It was cold <laughs> water. We we're taking like... Uh, like wet nap showers and stuff. That's but it a was rock a, star lifestyle. It, it was man. what it was. You All know, the way. It was only a week, so it was tolerable, and I'll sure. have those memories forever, man. It was, it was really cool. That's awesome. The first time uh, Record got hit, and it was up to you to deliver, how did you how'd you react to that? Uh, when the You say when the... First time they hit Record. Oh, so <laughs> without sounding too confident, I tracked pretty well. I, okay. I, I was... Comfortable with the zone, and again, I was just enthralled with like kind of having something to prove. I didn't have any way to show off. I mean, I knew the parts, and I could only play the parts. There was no yeah. improv in this band. It was yeah. like the right. guy who ran it was very by the books. When we got there, we only played original music. We didn't jam. Mm -hmm. um, something I've been yearning for again in life. But anyway, when they would hit record and I was tracking, I just wanted to nail the part and show everybody, you know, this yeah. metaphoric middle finger, like I did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's uh, nothing like a band that actually has prepared for the recording. Yeah, and I, I noticed some struggles in, in not only myself at cer certain times, but the drummer had some issues. So I got to experience like what could go wrong as well. Sure. And that's a quick way of learning in life, yeah. I tell you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, obviously that was electric guitar and that was electric guitar chug, played chug, with chug, a pick chug, chug, and yep. yeah, a lot of palm muting and chugging. But when in this did the acoustic stuff and the percussive stuff, when did that come into play? So... Uh, that Corsica fell apart right before my high school career, maybe sophomore year. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone else grew up. One of the guys got married. The other guys moved to Colorado when things were changing there. And they were like, oh, we're going to go on that bandwagon. I was like, I bet you are. Uh, anyway, so in high school, I had to figure out a way to keep music going, but I didn't have, I had put all my time and eggs in the basket of this band and touring with these guys. And 
I didn't really know anyone else to start a band with. I had like some noisemaker friends and we'd get together and just scream nonsense and yeah. you know, stuff like that. But uh, the only way I could go about music seriously and expect the world to reward me in return was to be a solo artist. So I had to figure out, the first step was p play guitar on an acoustic guitar and sing and figure out how to do those together. Uh -huh. And so I worked that out. And then I, I remember it was like 2008, maybe somewhere in there that I discovered Andy McKee. Oh, okay. And it was gorgeous. I was like, what is he doing? How, wh what is this? Right. Yeah, yeah. And that led me, or I guess the algorithm led me slowly into <laughs> finding artists, not only that were more modern that were doing that, but from the past that no one ever knew about back in the day, like mm -hmm. Michael, Michael Hedges yes. is an artist that only musicians really know, but was doing things back in, in the nineties that, uh, just, I don't know, didn't get real popular. Amazing, amazing ways of playing harp guitars and double neck instruments and, um, so anyway, a long story short there, I just kind of tried to emulate those things the best that I could. I couldn't afford a loop pedal at the time, and, and they really weren't very popular in 2008 or nine. They were right. just maybe just getting started. Uh, so I had to learn to try to keep that rhythm and the pop. And uh, I mean, there was no like big turning point. I just, I just stretched myself to try to emulate those sounds as much as I could. And I didn't have a drummer, and I was frustrated with that. So I had to try to figure out how to be the drummer too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And after a while I had fallen into this way of playing that at the cost of a nice guitar and you scratch the hell out of that. <laughs> sure. Um, you, you had some sounds that when I started playing open mics, I realized nobody else was doing for whatever reason, like nobody else was letting their hand leave the bridge of the guitar. Sure. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> I mean, I hear that, you know, and you know, what is easy and what's hard when you're the one, uh, engulfed in creative space when you it's know, your own when style. you're being creative yeah, you're like oh this is just what i'm doing you know sure. and, and the way it is but um i quickly found out while i'm ranting on that 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 there were some guys in the world doing the same thing to astronomical levels <laughs> like andy mckee just unlocked a door for sure. american guitarists and and things very very quickly started changing and uh so there was just this bar it was exciting for for 10 years after that where you would find these videos and you would try to emulate that. And by the time you got that technique, you discover something else someone's doing. Yeah. And before long, everybody's scratching on every ounce of the guitar <laughs> that you have. And uh, yeah, that was very cool. And uh, I would say that's kind of got us where we are now with, with um, just YouTube instrumentalists and guitarists and, and things are next level. For I sure. remember first time seeing Andy McKee and it was in, in the early days of YouTube. Actually, yeah. the way everything hit was kind of, Perfect timing. Exactly. Because Andy McKee, I forget the label he was on. Candy Rat Records. Candy Rat Records. Yes. Yep. I knew it was something rat. And they were all amazing. Yes. Go on. I'm and just... no, no, it, it's one of those two where during that time, I was into a lot of smaller labels to the point where I would trust whatever music they curated for me. Sure. And whenever I saw a new video came out under that Candy Rat Records moniker, I had a, a few guitar player buddies that I was like, I'm I know I'm going to forward this on to yeah, them. This is going to be good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's one of those things where I'd wondered seeing you play and trying to think back to the timing of when you would have started this. I was like, I, I wonder if kind of Andy McKee. That's exactly, I mean, that's very much an influence and there were more than just him, but sure. he's the most notable and he, he probably gathered the most notoriety of all of those guys yeah. in our generation. And yeah. And uh, 
I'm just flabbergasted with that the the sound, the ability to do all these things, and now you have fellows like Mike Dawes. Do you know who Mike Dawes is? I don't know who Mike Dawes. No, it's like the the epitome of simultaneous playing. If you close your eyes, <laughs> you're like, this dude's a great looper, and you open your eyes, and you're like, I'm quitting guitar. Like oh, this, this guy's not yeah, looping. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> I was lucky enough to get my hands on a looping pedal pretty early, so I never actually had to learn how to play well. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they're a very quick way of learning, dude. Your lead playing go, yeah. comes leaps and bounds with the loop header. Pedal. I was big into, uh, there was a band called Pele, and I had seen them on stage, and the guy started doing stuff, and I'm looking at his hands, and I'm listening to what's coming out, and they're a three-piece band, and I was like, what's going on? Yep. And it was actually, it might have been like 2001. And uh, I, after, the, after the show, I was like, what is that? And he's like, oh, this is an Akai head rush. It does this looping thing. But what he did that I really enjoyed was, it's not like he would play a rhythm part and then go back and play over it. He would do a thing where it would be like a couple notes, and then he'd go back and hit like a couple contrapuntal notes, and mm -hmm. then he'd hit a couple things. And it would be something where these notes would go in a key to where when he played chords over it, it didn't matter what chords he was playing, those notes would fit, and it, it was just a thing that was cool. So. That's definitely a style of looping <laughs> that that I've discovered, because there are a lot of different ways of approaching Absolutely. loopers, and I've gotten one recently where I sit and can hook my mic up, I beatbox, and I'll do all this, yeah. like, just noise making. I don't ever do it public yet, because that's putting a lot of eggs in the looper basket, and uh -huh. I'm not very confident with it yet. Yes. Uh, but anyhow, building with the, the nuances at first allows your loop to be a whole lot longer before it climaxes. Like yes. you can you can keep building it up and like get people to interact. Whereas if you're a songwriter, you might want the rhythm to go ahead and be there. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Were you writing songs using these techniques at this point? Or were you or were you applying them to songs you'd already written? So the first thing I recall doing was applying it to some of my favorite cover songs. Okay. And my dad was my parents were supportive enough of music and growing up that uh, my dad would give me requests. Like he always, he always wanted me to play uh, "Wish You Were Here" by Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was just something he and he would judge me on that too. Like your lead <laughs> needs work. You're like, what the hell, man? Come on. So, uh, "Simple Man" by Leonard Skinner, of course, was another one of those classics that we learn early on. Uh -huh. And he would always ask me to play it, and it would annoy me because I'm just, I didn't want to play that. I wanted to play like the trooper by Iron Maiden or something, right? So uh, I decided that I could loosen up my right hand and try to get this percussive side of that song. And so I came up with a percussive version of Simple Man. And that was the first time I really dabbled with being disciplined with it. And shortly after I started writing <clears throat> original music based on poetry that I had uh, that allowed me to do that. I kind of viewed the percussive aspect of acoustic guitar playing as hypnotic uh, and trying to captivate people that way because I was never able to unlock my left hand to being noodly. You know, <laughs> right, I was never yeah. able to be like, and I wanted it really bad, but I just didn't put the time in and the, you know, the discipline. So I had to figure out how to be as flashy as possible with my right hand, I guess, yep, I yep. guess. Uh, we all have to work, you know, you work within your limitations and then you unlock a thing that other people look at it and they say, well, that's fantastic. Right. They're like you don't understand. I only do this because I can't do that. I can't that. do the other thing. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I feel good about like the finger picking patterns of my right hand and my left hand is trash. Yeah. I mean, mine's just <laughs> slow and sluggish and I know uh -huh. it, I could work on it. I've got time, you know, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I have it's to play not gigs fun. <laughs> no, man, that's like woodshedding. You have to sit down yeah. and play this, you know, this scale a hundred times or whatever. And that's why, you know, that's why you have 
David Sink's number in your I'm phone. I'm so glad you said his name, man, because I'm envisioning him in my head. Like it's like I just go to his videos to drop oh. my jaw and go, Oh my goodness, I can do that. That's possible. <laughs> I try to see how many episodes I can drop his name in. That's funny. He's he's wonderful, man. I've had the opportunity to play and record with him I several heard times. That. Yeah. It was yeah, really good. Cool. Let's talk about some of your albums, man. All right. Uh the first one, Pickersville Sessions. Okay, yeah. So that was uh my first experience with uh, recording as a solo artist that mm-hmm. uh, outside of my home. You know, something a little more in someone else's hands. Uh, And that was, that project was a gift from my buddy Jared, who took me uh, unannounced. He was just like, grab a guitar, we're going on a road trip. And he took me to the studio. I was just like, uh, I met this guy and he wants to record your music and your music means a lot to me. So I want to make sure it's out there. Yeah. Um, And I sat on that music for some years before I released it. uh, And it was only after the release of my album, uh, Mud that I released Pickerville. Really? Yeah, I put okay. it out. I was like, I'm going to get my backlog out, and sure. that way I'm not going to lose any of this stuff. So. Right. Uh, Pickersville is full of songs that are very wordy, <laughs> uh, very angsty, and I was, I was probably between 16 and 19 when I wrote those lyrics. So okay. a lot of those things were very oh. like, you know, what's up with the world? How come it's this way? Why do I, you know, and I don't play a lot of those songs anymore because uh, I just can't speak that quickly. I don't have, I don't sure. feel the same about some of that stuff. And I did notice the, the production of it. It's mainly just guitar and voice and simple. Maybe, yeah. maybe there might've been a double tracked vocal on a song or two. Or... Yeah. And it was like a over, over compressed guitar. Uh, yeah. I wasn't doing percussion with my, uh, with my guitar at the time, but I was dabbling and tapping. So there are some, some licks in mm. there that were pretty rhythmic and you could hear that I was doing like lead stuff with my right hand, sure. which was yeah. kind of cool. Uh, first time trying that into a, uh, in a studio and that guy, Doug, that did the recording. It was just sweet as could be. It was a great experience. Awesome. Yeah. Seems I, I kind of the the next two albums kind of go together for me. Yeah, uh, mud and weight. Yeah, because you did both of those with um, what was that gentleman? John Baldwin. John Baldwin. Yep. And in fact, I did the uh, the following two with him as well. But those two kind of had a flavor. Yeah. Uh, I met that guy at the Coastal Coffee Roasters open mic. Over, uh, I covered a song by a fellow named Nick Drake who was a singer-songwriter from the 60s. Mm-hmm. It didn't have a long repertoire or life, uh, but uh, not everybody knows who he is. So I covered one of their songs, and I sat down, and he comes up to me and goes, dude, was that Nick Drake? And I was like, oh, did we just become friends? He's like, yeah. <laughs> well, as it would happen, uh, he currently at that time lived like uh, two blocks from my parents' house in Ridgeville, where I grew up in the middle of the country. I was like, there's nobody else lives out here, and you, right. I could, like, a pigeon could fly to your house. So uh, we became good friends, hanging out all the time, recording, jamming. Um, and one of the things I appreciated about John Baldwin, and I still do, is this man can make music with anything, sounds with anything. He's just like a true artist, musician, um, who doesn't require an instrument. And so we ended up making sounds with like, we, we created thunder with sheets of metal, we created rain with rain sticks, we did, mm. he had these little wooden frogs, and I made it sound like it was just like a, a swampy outside I don't know how to describe it. A swampy nature scene I tried to create just like our, our homeland. We found out we're both from this area. Let's describe yeah. it with sound, right? Uh, but the two of those albums do kind of go together in like a, a chapter, so to speak. Well, the, the sound and the vibe of those records, there's, there's a lot of ways to make a record. And one way is sort of like the Pickersville Sessions where you sit down with a musician and you try to make it sound like you're sitting in the room with the musician. Oh boy, I even turned it on on mute. <laughs> no worries. All right, my bad. 
And then sometimes when you make a record, you say, we got all these tracks to make exactly what right. our vision is. Right. And, and both have their definite artistic merit, but the, these two records were at least one where you were like, let's start let's dabbling. paint a picture here, yeah. And what was unique about those two in contrast to those to follow was the modern way of recording, of course, is to use uh, all of your tools, track things bit by bit, be as precise as is possible, mm -hmm. and there's a place for that. It sounds wonderful. Uh, but kind of what we did with weight and mud, I sat down behind a condenser mic, I plugged in my DI, and I had a vocal mic. He, he mic'd it maybe three or four different ways. Mm -hmm. And I played each of those songs like a songwriter, acoustic guitar and vocal. Each one, just like I did Pickersville. And then we decorated around those songs. Yeah. So none of them were to a click. And we didn't separate the vocal from the guitar. So I still had the, the intensity that I might have had locally, or right. locally, but uh, in a live show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we just decorated around it, which was extremely fun because there was no click. We had to be creative and like blur things so you wouldn't notice that I missed a note here, right. or like you know get cre again creative with frog sounds and weird like. I'm a big fan of that, man. I like I like to do what they call like kitchen sink production, mm -hmm. where you just keep throwing stuff at it yeah. because the cool thing is if it doesn't work, you can mute it, take it out. Yeah, we're not cutting tape anymore. It's not right. you know it's right so easy, and you're and you're not limited by tracks and just have all the if you think something might work, try it yeah, exactly, and and it. Everything worked. Like there's kalimba in those recordings. He used yeah. a glockenspiel and and he all the flute sounds you hear in those albums were done with PVC flutes that he made and and knew how to drill Where perfectly. Did... They were tuned. Man, I can't even <laughs> describe to you how flabbergasted I was to meet this fella when he would he's like, check these flutes out. And he played something. I was like, What? Like <laughs> this is the moody blues? What is going on here? That's wild, man. Very cool. Very cool. Good records, man. Thank you. Really man. good. Uh you guys did the Nick Drake. Yeah. So that was tribute a tribute record. album. Yeah. And I figured, you know, hey, we both know who this person is. We both have appreciation for his works. And it was only at that that time uh, that Nick Drake's music started to become really popular, which is ironic that 40, 45 years after your death, you yeah. know, your music with the internet would get popular. But Well, it was a commercial. Was it a commercial? Yeah, it was yeah. a Volkswagen Pink commercial. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy to have found his music. It meant a lot to me. And this guy was willing to treat it with respect without, you know, we weren't going to break our back to recreate it. Nick Drake did it best. Yeah. So let's, let's just pay homage. And, you know, that's what we did. Absolutely. It was cool. I actually, I have a guitar, the little guild I play. There's a, an album cover where he's holding an M20, even though he never, ever played one. Yep, never recorded with so, one. Yep. <laughs> but I got one and everybody was like, oh, that's the guitar Nick Drake played. I said, well, that's a guitar Nick Drake held. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. What a mysterious guy that, that guy was. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting a shooting star, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, is, is Iron and Clay the next one? So Iron and Clay is the most recent. Yeah. Uh, and that was 2020. 2020. Yep. And that was me uh, deciding I could get weird. Like, yeah. uh, I started to break things apart. I was recording a lot more in my in my bus because we were all sent to our rooms for a year, or so mm -hmm. or for at least six eight months. Right. So I was just getting weird, man. I, again, I I had this angst, and I was like, you know, I want my voice to break up some. I, I want to let go of this this sweet soft voice at times in my album uh, without overdoing it, if for no other reason than a nod to my appreciation for metal. But it gave me another dynamic in those albums, whereas they were yeah. kind of soft, sweet, and intriguing, the first two, three albums. Uh, this one had some 
some oomph to it at times. And uh, there's still some beauty there, of course, and some soft, delicate stuff. But uh, Iron and Clay is is titled as such because it's the coming together of, of the organic side of creativity and the technological side of creativity. And it, I was really, really stubborn to that for a long time. Like I'd, I didn't want a loop pedal because I could do it without it. I don't want <laughs> the, I don't want to track everything separately because I could do it without it. And sure. Finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to shake hands with the machine and we're going to see how big a sound I can really get. And right. man, I'm still dabbling. It's infinite. I talk to a lot of people that when they record, they always think like, oh, I, I'm not going to do that because I won't be able to recreate it live. And but recording in live is two completely different things. That's true. And the things you could do for live now, if you've got a good team, are, are wonderful. I mean, yeah. you could you don't have to impress everybody by just standing there with a the guitar. Like, people don't mind if you've got some, a team in the back. Why is this doing this again? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Man, time to wake up, Josh. All right. We'll make sure this is off here. So anyway. Some of my favorite, though, if you think there are legendary live albums and what makes them so legendary is that they have nothing to do with the record like if you think of nirvana's nevermind or nirvana's mtv unplugged and you're like it doesn't have smells like teen spirit on it it doesn't have right you know those big hits that you would you were one to buy uh nevermind for yeah and they're doing something in a completely different way and they're recreating it in a different way it's your song do it yeah. how you want absolutely like, you're absolutely. allowed to cover your own music yeah <laughs> I, I love hearing like colin hay do men at work songs solo acoustic and it brings a different thing out of them that you know if if they would have said this is only what we can pull off live so we're only going to do this Probably would have never heard of them. Well, if you allow yourself a little bit of grace and lenience with your own music, you can age <laughs> well with it. Like you can like, okay, so I can't do this the way I once could. I don't have yeah. the finger stamina. So I can simplify it, still get the point across and age well with my song. I left room yeah. for myself to do that. A lot of these bands now, have you ever heard of Polyphia? You know who Polyphia oh, yeah. is? Oh yeah. So remarkable musicianship, <laughs> undeniable musicianship. But I'm like, dude, I want to see you do this when you're 70. Can you stand up oh, there like Mick God. Jagger and still like, <laughs> I want to see it. Let's do it. Just that one that came out like last week. Uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Next level stuff, man. And yeah. I'm so glad that we can enjoy it and, and oh, listen to for it for sure. free and watch that these people are doing it. And uh, But uh, yeah, that's... But that that also is the product of somebody who was able to watch YouTube. That's right. At a very young age. And you know where I had guitar player magazines at best. That's and, exactly and that's right. a that's a step ahead of the people 15 years before me. If where, you were lucky enough to have a DVD or a VHS, you're rewinding it every yeah, five seconds to yeah. watch people's hands and yeah. yeah. So it's it's I wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, we're to the point where people are wild on guitar, man, on everything, on anything. <laughs> yeah. So people are like you can watch people who are uh, the top tier of whatever it is you're into. You can watch the best in the world for free from your phone, wherever yes. you are, in the bathroom, right? And it it just keeps raising the bar. And you have people who start playing music as young as maybe I was by the time they're 10 and they're serious. And they're watching the greatest guitarists in the world and they're <laughs> able to do some of that stuff. So I'm watching these children drummers. I've been learning to drum and taking it seriously in the last uh -huh. couple of years. And uh, nothing like seeing a 10 year old who can do all the paradiddles and stuff flawlessly. And you're like, dude, you can't walk right yet. What is going on? Well, I mean, there's a, there's an age in your life where your brain is just more of a sponge. That's right. And when they're taking all that stuff on, when they're building it up, like the English language, like walking, like 
It's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And I'm glad we get to see it, man. But yeah. And, and <laughs> but the beauty of it is, and the beauty of art is that that level of virtuosity doesn't monopolize what's good. Right. Some of my favorite music is the simplest thing. When somebody can pull something off in a simple way, that gives me the goosebumps too. That's know? Pink Floyd, man. That's why yeah. I have such an appreciation. A lot of people let go of Pink Floyd because it's sad music, makes you feel a certain way. But oh. man, they, they're so much better musicians than they ever showed you. Like they're, they're, there's an artistry to restraint. If you can hold back and mm. just play what the song asks for, man, that takes experience. You can't teach that. You know? oh, David Gilmore can bend one note. And yeah, yeah, it's one note yeah. <laughs> and some reverb and you're satisfied. You're yeah. like, Thank you, Dave. Appreciate yeah. it. You did it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the iron and clay record too, did it start out? I saw there was a lot, like a lot of singles off of it. Did it start out sort of as singles and then the record came together or. So uh, I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, I just, I, <laughs> the way we were doing iron and clay was different in that John and I weren't together. He moved to Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do everything remotely. And so we were trying to send stems back and forth to one another as we mm. were recording. And we might, would be working on two to five songs at any given point, And there was no guarantee that anything would be done at a certain time. So sure. the best option for me to have content coming out when I wasn't allowed to leave my room was to put a song out every, I don't know, month, two months, something sure. like that. And what I thought would be neat was to I would change the background on the same image. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. To kind of give the, the vibe of the song, but to keep the point, which was this sad robot thing I was going with, this motif. Sure. And um, at the end, I'd compile them all and release it as a, a compilation as well with a totally different artwork. Uh, and it, I mean, it kind of worked. It was cool. It gave me something to share. But yeah. ultimately, I guess it missed the mark of pushing a whole album at once. And, you know, but... Well, it's different these days. Yeah. Uh, it's not... Really, an album marketplace anymore. I think uh, that's true. With social media, with the internet, it's all about okay, you did that. What's next? What do you got for me now? It's been a week, Josh. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're probably only yeah. going to give you, you know, thirty seconds to three minutes of of their attention anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's usually. I hate to admit what I would do if I'm being introduced to something. I'm like, yeah, sure. I kind of want to be impressed within that amount of time. Yeah. I'm a musician, uh, so I'll give it the three minutes, the three five yeah. minutes, maybe two three songs, but. Um, the days of being handed an album and putting the needle on it and running through the whole thing, flipping it, running through the whole thing and experiencing it, even a, a CD, those days are kind of gone. People don't do that anymore. They have to win me with a song before they get an album play out of me, typically. Yeah. And that's and sometimes I miss a lot of people the first time around that way because yeah. it is the wrong song or it was the wrong moment or, you know. People used to do concept albums. Yeah. That was something that uh, I did with Mud and with uh, uh, Weight that I... I wanted to kind of keep alive was the thing that made dark side of the moon so beautiful to me was that it was really one song. The whole thing is one yeah. song split up. It's in similar keys. All the stuff can go together. Uh, I can't stand hearing it on the radio because of that. Cause you're, <laughs> you're like, uh, Oh, they're going to Motley Crue now. Great. Right. Uh, so I wanted the, to build that album so that anyone who wanted to dive into my music would, would have a treat, like an experience, one song, one thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then Iron and Clay was just like, all bets are off. Let's scream in the song. <laughs> well, and I noticed that you were, you were like uh, collaborating with different folks. You had Tristan yep. on a tune. You had, you I had wanted David to, on a tune. You know, the world might be ending. I don't know what's going on. Let me sure. try to bring my friends in. And, and again, I could send the, David never came over to track with me. I just sent him the stems. Yeah. You know, Tristan did come over, but you know, we were just sending things around. It was sure. a lot easier to have features, to have other team people involved. And 
Yeah. Yeah. When I when I saw it was twenty 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 that all this came out. I kind of did the math of that's what happened. I mean, when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden musicians didn't have gigs and they had a lot more free time on their hands and generally an expectation where it was like, oh, you need to put out things because you got all this time on your hands. Something, where are your videos? Where yeah, are your... yeah, yeah. What, when, when's your live stream? This guy's live streaming. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm dealing with emotions in my psyche right yeah, now. There's some stuff yeah. going on, man. <laughs> like, right. Give me a minute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I'm I'm glad we had the means to do stuff like that when uh such things were happening in the world. Because yeah. you know, I I needed that to some degree it was my medicine, even if it was a little grumpy in this song or a little <laughs> too sad. Like I, I wept in one of those songs and uh we can talk about the song in just a minute, but yeah. it was the point of that was to have an outlet for this emotion when um you know, I was afraid to go anywhere, of course, for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons being to, you don't want to affect people you love or who love right. you. You don't want them to be upset even or what yeah. you, what's going on. So everybody's kind of tiptoeing. And I was like, from the comfort of my home, I can convey my emotions however I need to. You know, uh -huh. I can record it. There was a bunch of stuff I recorded that you'll never hear, I promise. <laughs> uh, but that's the way it goes. And I'm really, really grateful that we had that kind of a opportunity. Yeah. yeah, we could have just been sad, dark, hanging out at the at the house with a book and not understanding what was going on in the world, but I got to sing about it. It's cool. So while we're talking about Iron and Clay, uh, you want to play a song off that record? Yeah, I think I'm going to do one uh, <clears throat> from the record called Work. Uh, and it's kind of a cool song that uh, I wasn't very confident with playing live for people at first because of the the content and what it meant to me. And I didn't want to have to explain to anyone what <laughs> it meant. You know, I didn't want people to be like, what is that about? And then it put me on the spot. And Sure. Uh, yeah, work was good. I wrote at a time where I had no work. I was doing really well with gigs, just like a lot of people in town, man. I had the ball rolling and yeah. then it stopped. So I was like, all right, I have to figure out where my work's coming from. Where's, where's this, uh, how am I going to be paid now? What am I getting paid in? Like what's going on? And yeah. so yeah, there was work. All right, man. You know you are 
don't want to take this mark You offered your hand right from the start Now while awakening there you are To whisper in my ear your shooting star You know you are You know you are You know you are You know you are Very nice, man. Thanks, dude. So I did look through your um, your catalog quite a bit. Notice there's a lot of like kind of live EPs here and there, and a lot of yeah, just releases to have content, things sure. to interact, and yeah. yeah. Then there's some weird stuff on there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it though, man. <laughs> yeah, and then that's you, you can do. That's the point of like being an independent musician. You don't, a record label would probably say, uh, yeah, you know, we're not going to put that out. Sure. Or yeah. go ahead and get that, uh, scrub that off the internet because we're going for something else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, you know, that'll be a B side or what have you, but you know, you yeah. can do whatever you want, man. None of my, uh, you know, millions and millions of monthly listeners have complained at all. So yeah. Excellent. Yeah. No, I figure until you are a certain, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to convey here, I guess. Until I'm at a certain point and feel that it's important to scrub a lot of those things, I think it's good for at least my own mental health to know where, where I've been, where I started, what yeah. kind of sounds I wanted to put out at that time, you know? Well, There's a rap song in there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> ultimately, man, you are in control of the direction you go in. Correct. And there's nothing more important as a musician than having that control. And you never know what'll hit, man. Like, I, right. I mean, <laughs> if something is going to happen, all of a sudden someone's like, yo, I heard this rap song you did back in 2009 with these guys. I'm like, you mean in my bedroom? Where yeah. it was like making beats on a chaos later? He's like, yeah, do that again. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, 2024, you might be a rapper, man. I mean, we might be knows? scrubbing all the folk stuff. Post Malone was not always a rap artist. Right. Did you know that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a good example. The bad example I had was Sugar Ray. Okay, there you go. Like pre-Fly, they were like a punk band. Yep. And then they were like, oh, that sold really, really well. Yeah, we better do that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a bad version. Don't do, I mean, unless, it, yeah, man, if that makes you money, yep. do it. <laughs> hey, there's a difference between selling out and buying in, man. You got to make some money and we all got to have a I little like something. That. Yeah. Excellent. Tell me about, um, you know, when I listened to the couple podcasts you did with Brian Dales, you were talking about the van. You mm -hmm. were working on the van and... Even though everything in the van worked, maybe the van didn't work as well as you were hoping. Yeah, but... so the, the van was a really cool, uh, I miss that van a lot, man. That was <laughs> rock and roll, dude. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was having some some changes going on in my life to where, where I was living was uh, not conducive for me at the time, you know. So mm -hmm. um, 
I wanted to figure out a way for me to have my own space. I was on a musician's budget, which was squat and pride. And yeah. so I <laughs> decided that I was going to build a van. Uh, at that time, you're starting to see a boom in people doing that, building these tiny mini, you know, uh, campers and touring the U.S. and all. <clears throat> and I had a friend in a junkyard who hooked me up with a mid-80s Dodge <laughs> van. It's a piece of turd. And I polished the crap out of that turd, man. I wanted that to be mine so bad. And I, I built this whole vision into it. Uh, fold up bed, sink, I had all running water, electricity. I could go like 48 hours off grid with this thing. And, yeah. Um, the motor ended up, the transmission let me down <clears throat> and all of the, uh, what do you call them? Water ports, water jackets. I, anyway, there are these little plugs, water plugs on the side of the block and it just started blowing them out. <laughs> and I was like, great. So I needed a whole motor uh, rebuild and transmission rebuild. And, uh, the fellows I entrusted to do that were unable to make it happen. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I ended up having to, to let go of the van, tried to get my, my mind on differently, and I and, uh, was renting from a friend when I got a message from someone who was like, hey, are you interested in my mansion? And I was like, you own a school bus. Yeah. You own a school bus, and I know where this is going. And so, uh, yeah, it was all downhill from there. I, I went and I looked at this full-size school bus and ended up picking that up and renovating it, and I still own that. I've got a 38-foot, completely renovated schoolie. Uh, nice. That's, yep, that's living ready and uh, awesome. Very cool 60,000 mile running bus. Very cool. Is that <laughs> where you're doing your recording now? That's where I'm, I'm actually living full time in the school bus and I do some recording in there now. And uh, the front half of it's outfitted to be at least a little bit audio friendly. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of boom in a school bus with, with a, <laughs> a metallic dome ceiling when you first yeah. got in there. But yeah. I figured out a way to make it workable and uh, it's conducive to the lifestyle I want at the time. And I've been building it up now for at least the last three months, pretty hardcore and quickly hoping to travel. Uh, my plan, nice. is, my plan is to go see my cousin in Florida and I want to catch her band. They're touring the U S now, but I want to catch them in their hometown and, um, do that at my school bus. So I'm going to go. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. I saw you had done, was it, was it the bus you'd done a couple live streams in? Yeah, I gave that a go uh, during the the quarantine sure. too, and sure, uh, and that was cool. You know, how'd you get internet in there? Uh, so I can draw internet. I've got little boosters and stuff. Okay. And yep. at the time, there was a Wi-Fi on the farm that I was parked at. Nice. So uh, there were actually two other people in little tiny homes, and they were picking up on the Wi-Fi too. Cool. And we all just shared it. Yeah, nice. You gotta have See, Wi-Fi. That's how it should be, you know. Instead of especially Wi-Fi. I mean, come yeah. on now. What are you losing by me? Exactly. Uh, as long as I'm not up to nefarious things. Right, like, yeah. You're not pirating gigs worth of movies, which yeah. now that movies stream, who cares? Hey, I hacked a Nintendo DS recently, so shh. Oh, man. <laughs> um, you still run Wings Back Entertainment? Loosely. Uh, it still exists. The concept's still there. I had to, I had to step back, man, because um, I got this entrepreneurial mentality um, and, and started taking on more than I could chew, if I'm <laughs> yeah. honest. Like I just, yeah. I, I got way too involved in things. And then before I, I knew it, I was, uh, letting people down more often than I'd like to. Mm. And it, it, it was not good for me, not good for them. And I just kind of had to hit the brakes a little bit. So my, fo yeah. my focus right now is mo mainly, uh, drum with a couple artists in town and playing as, uh, many solo gigs as I can in the type of venues I'd like to play. That's, That's the tough part. I'm yeah. finally honing in on that where... Uh, I would say before the quarantine, I was willing to take whatever work I can get. Mm -hmm. And I really just wanted to be out there and put myself out there. Yep. And uh, I was playing a lot of places that um, were draining. You know what I mean? Yes. I would play a sports bar underneath a TV and like, oh, are they looking at me? <laughs> nope, it's the Braves. So 
uh, I'd like to try to play more of those listening rooms, things like we were talking about. And, and again, right. I'm steering the ship. So if I want to wait and play original music for a coffee shop or a wine bar, I can do that. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, yeah, I forgot what your initial question was, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, when it comes to when it comes to playing those gigs, you know, this I, I, I'm always interested in different people's perspective on it. Um, there are some gigs where I will take a little less money for mm -hmm. a lot better vibe. Oh, yeah. And then there are some gigs where you're just going to make money. And you're playing Dave Matthews or whatever you got to play. Well, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my, it's just not my wheelhouse. No, man. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Like even, even if I knew half of the songs that were being requested of me, I just can't deliver on them in the way that do you do covers? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. When I first moved here, though, I didn't really know that many covers. I, I knew a lot of Tom Waits songs. but That's cool. But then it's to the point where, yeah, I, I can play three hours of covers, but it's not going to be, you know, the that's... ones people <laughs> generally want to hear. Well, and that's kind of where I was, too. Like, I do have a, a wheelhouse of covers, and I've got some that you would recognize and sure. the average would recognize. Yeah. But most of the stuff I choose is stuff I want to choose that I can yeah. actually put my heart into singing and playing yeah. and uh, unfortunately, it's not always top 40. And when you're right. at a, a sports bar and you get requests for, I don't know, let's just use Freebird as a nice yep. common example. Like, I just, you're not going to like the version of Freebird I play for you. <laughs> you exactly. You know, I, if, if you told you and I to both independently make a list of 15 songs people want to hear, I bet you 10 would match. Uh, it's true. And it's, and those songs are fine. It's just, it, it's been oversaturated at this point. Yeah. Like I have a lot of, I, like I started to learn how to play guitar in the nineties and all, the grunge scene was going on and a lot of weird one hit. I'll play weird one hit wonders from the nineties all day. Oh yeah. I'll play a crash test dummy song and filter some, something random. Yeah. Like some fastball, you know, but when it comes to John Denver, I just don't know any. Same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some that I can hit like a uh, Bob Dylan. I've gotten that request Ooh, a lot. And yeah. Lots of respect for Bob Dylan, but there's really only one song is Don't Think Twice that I know. I do that, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'd stay away from Bob Dylan. Yeah. If you like Bob Dylan, you're not going to like my rendition of it. Like, yeah. I can't right? promise I'm going to be that good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, just, one, I, do, I do like the Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Tom Waits, Tom Petty, because at least my voice is not going to be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, some leeway there. Yeah. 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 yeah you got to choose your, choose your cover songs. I think... Uh, I know some guys that that do the songs that are most requested, yeah. and I, there's a place for that too. They They're make, making they make the, the money, money. dude. Yep. They get all the gigs. They do yep. all the things, and that's great. But uh, having said that, I want to find those places where I can play 45 minutes to an hour of original oh, music man, instead yeah. of four hours of cover songs. You know, get yeah. exhausted. And by the time I get to playing my original, I'm like winded, and I'm like I already been playing all this other stuff. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes there are some rooms where. You can take the covers slightly more obscure and like kind of take it down the path where it ends at your own tunes if you have the right kind of crowd that will go on that journey with you. I agree. And yeah. and start shaping the emotion of the room and everything. And the nights where you can make that happen, those are those magical nights that you're like, okay, that's why I do this. Yep. Yeah. And there are a lot of dinner shows I've played. I used to play at the Ice House in Somerville every mm -hmm. week. And I loved that space because I could, uh, I don't want to say I could control it, but I could interact with it. Yes. You know, I could yeah. feel people like, you know, being into the music or yeah. even if they're against the music or whatever. Whereas, again, using the sports bar as an example, <laughs> they 
they're not there for you. Right. You no, know, they're there for their beers and their, yeah. you know, friends and that's what it is. Do you have the songs that you put out there as feelers? Like you'll you'll say like I'll play this song and I'm just wanting one person to look up when this starts. Yep. And I, then you're like, okay, I'm playing to you tonight. That's right. <laughs> yep. I have a starter song. Uh, like usually I'll pick one of three different starter songs to uh-huh. kind of feel a room out. And in one case, I can very quickly like, oh, this ain't going right. And I can kind of morph it into another song <laughs> that I think will do well. But there are times you you have to force it. You know, yeah. uh, I, I remember realizing there are times where the audience kind of dictates the vibe. And mm-hmm. then there are times where you tell the audience what's going on. Sure, um, sure. And knowing what which show is what is important too. Cause. Yeah. It, I know people that are fantastic instrumentalists or singers who have not in myself. It's not like I've figured out that, that thing yet. Sure. But it's a, it's a whole different thing to figure out on top mm-hmm. of learning the songs and remembering the words. Cause I don't, I don't bring the iPad either. So I got to remember it. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and you have to, you have to, uh, do that until you get to the point where people are practically buying tickets to see you. Yeah. Once, once they do that, then you name the room. You make yeah. the room exactly what you need it to be. Uh, yeah. You color the canvas. But until then, you, you have to make sure people don't leave the restaurant. You know, you don't yeah. want to shoot people off. Right. Uh, and you also don't want them to be so enthralled with you they're not drinking or whatever it is. That right. You have to kind of right. keep it copacetic. Yeah. Aesthetic? But- copacetic? Aesthetic? Aesthetic. Aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, see, this is the thing. <laughs> so I... Uh, I don't think it's a secret at this point that I came from Ohio, but when, <laughs> when I was in Ohio, there were a lot of scenes where you could be put on a, a night of maybe three songwriters mm-hmm. and you would play a 45 minute set and you would be expected to be all your songs and maybe like a fun cover at the end or something sure. like that. But, and, and it was cool within that scene to thumb your nose at the people who played the cover gigs, but coming down here and playing the cover gigs it's i have not i don't believe i've put in my ten thousand hours yet as a cover artist as as just as a performing musician anytime that you are up in front of people strumming a guitar and singing songs and maybe trying to hit a note that you didn't hit last week and maybe trying to play something at the tempo that you couldn't I just want to get my 10,000 hours in, you know? It's true. 10,000 hours as a guitarist does not equate to 10,000 hours as a performer. They are different animals, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about your songwriting for a second. All right. Uh, I heard you say a couple times that you really don't think about something before you write. You don't, like, sit down with this strong intention where I'm going to produce a thing and build it like a factory. Right. <clears throat> especially if it's a, a feeling like, so say I'm, I'm experiencing heartbreak. That's a common one that songwriters use. And I, I don't want to sit down and say, I'm going to write a song about heartbreak because boy, howdy, that's going to be just a wallop. <laughs> I can put all those words down at right, once. And, right. um, I prefer illusion. I prefer, um, not necessarily beating around the bush, but leaving a little mystery and intrigue to the lyrics. And so if I sit down in heartbreak, Uh, without necessarily contemplating heartbreak and just kind of emote that, like sit down with the guitar and see what kind of chords are heartbreak right now, see what words end up. And sometimes, like I'll describe a song as being like, uh, the song Work I played a little earlier. Mm -hmm. I describe that song as being about one thing and people hear it and they're like, I don't really see where you got, (laughs) did you get your point across? Did you not get your point across? And to me, that's not a, you know, there's a time and a place to be very direct. 
and to say things cleanly and, and yeah. swiftly and cut through, you know, the static and say exactly what you need to do. And there are times where I don't want you to know exactly what I'm feeling. I want you to kind of come near it. I want you to taste that, that emotion and, and kind of see how it contours into your own life. How does, you know, yeah. what does it remind you of? I don't want to give you too many details because if you have all my details, you're not going to let yourself relate. You're going to say, oh, it, it is different than what I experienced, right. you know? And that's the danger of explaining after the fact, too. I agree. Because maybe somebody has, maybe it means something totally to them. different. Yep. Maybe it means a lot to somebody. And then you're like, well, you know, it's not about that. You take it away. Yep. It doesn't mean it's not to them. That's a gr- I agree. Yeah. So I'm, I'm open to discussing what songs are about with people, especially privately. I like that, you know, and if yeah, you, yeah. you know, let me know what, how it made you feel and stuff like that. But I would never tell someone like that is what the song's about. And I, right. you know, I would never use, um, I don't know. I try to stay away from details that pigeonhole me, I guess. Sure. Like things that are uh, time sensitive. I don't like to, uh, let's see how I can go about this. I think in Pickersville was the last time I was willing to write lyrics that were era sensitive, like that could be outdated. You uh-huh. know? One of the things I like about Pink, Pink Floyd was that they never, you know, talked about things from their era that would be lost with the decades. Right. You know, you're not, I wouldn't write a song about Verizon because what if <laughs> Verizon isn't a, a company in 10 years, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I tried to beat around the bush, use some allegories, use things that are intriguing and might uh, stand the test of time. Now, when the songs, when these songs hit you or when you sit down to write these songs, do you physically sit down and say, I'm going to see what pops out? Or do you stand out there sort of with the butterfly net and kind of catch something as it goes by? Uh, a little of both. It uh-huh. depends. I think I have examples of both. Um, <clears throat> I have examples also of, of being that disciplined songwriter who's like, okay, today your exercise is to write about cars, right? Uh-huh. Or use that analogy or something. Sure. But um I like it to just kind of uh, channel through, you know, and see see what comes out. And if I can do that properly, and if I can subjugate what I know about my ego and get it out of the way and allow the words to just come through, sometimes I learn about myself. And that's why I have some songs that are in my book that are on the back burner that I won't let you hear yet because uh-huh. I haven't learned the lesson. I haven't learned from what I, you know, if you if you don't think and you write a page worth of lyrics and all of a sudden you come back to it and contemplate it, you're like, okay, there's some subconscious stuff in there. <laughs> there's some, you know, unconscious trauma trying to sneak out in sure. there. And uh, I like to taste those things and sit with them myself before I put them out to the world. And uh, sometimes it never will, you know, come out because it was too direct or uh-huh. like I can't, I'm not going to break down crying in, in a concert while I play my songs to people. I need to be able to like own the emotion. Right. And right. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> it so far has worked out better for me to channel music, allow it to kind of flow in and out. Uh, that way I have something to learn rather than me just putting my, as I would consider it, my ego on the paper. I mean, I can do that and I could probably be pretty powerful at telling it as I see it, you know, sure. and telling the world, but yeah. I don't want to be that kind of artist right now. I, you know, I really like people like Nick Drake, like he was writing songs that um, were relevant 45 years later and yeah. were not relevant when he wrote them. So there's something <laughs> to be said for that. There's, there's a magic there, I think. Now, do you have like a lot of journals on the si- on one side, and then a lot of like demos on the other side, and then uh, kind of combine them and sort of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I have a lot of uh, I have a stack of composition books that are just all over the place, man. And there are only a couple people who've ever dove into those, aside from myself, as right. it should be, you know. Yeah. Um, but and I've got recordings that are the same. I got little twenty second snippets where I'll listen to them a year later and go, "What the heck was I even going for there?" 
Um, but then there are times where I'll have a guitar idea and I really can't think of a lyric. Nothing's coming to me. And all of a sudden I'll find that journal and something will pop out. And yeah. I'm like, wow, five years ago I wrote these lyrics that work perfectly to this. And I don't mind assembling things that way. Sure. Either, you know. Doesn't it always seem though like the best songs are the ones that just kind of show up on your doorstep and you, it almost the time it takes you to play it is almost the time it takes you to write it. Yep, and you almost when people ask like, "Oh, you must have slaved in writing this and gone back and forth," and you feel like like you're not gonna like hearing this, but I wrote it in ten minutes. It came out oh, in fifteen man. minutes. Like I've been pre- uh, uh, making it polished for years. You know, I've yeah. been playing it a hundred times. You know, sure. I make it polished. But the original idea, yeah, it came out pretty dang quick. Oh man, if there was a rain <laughs> dance that I knew to do that would bring one of those on, yep, <laughs> trying to capture it. Sometimes I feel like those ideas. You ever hum a melody? You're like, ooh, that's good. Like yeah. that's probably already taken. It's so good. Oh yeah, right? yeah. And if you don't capture it, if you don't capture that butterfly and put it down on paper or record it, I feel like it really does exist, and it just goes on to the next musician who hears it. Okay. Until yeah. they grab it and they're like, ooh, you know, I wrote this. Like, did you write it or did it already? <laughs> you just grabbed it from the ether. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. It you you don't get a lot of shots at it. Yep. Yeah. I feel like the listeners gonna be like, I could tell this dude's hair is long without him even saying so. Like, <laughs> listen to him talk. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I love I love songwriting, man. There's so many different ways of approaching it and uh and so many different outcomes. You know, you can I don't know, that's what makes it diverse. There are a lot of musicians that that sing confessionals. There are musicians who sing pop culture. There are musicians who sing things that I don't understand. And then there are metal bands that just scream and make up lyrics later, I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> or never really make them up to begin with. Right. <laughs> What's that song about? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly right on guitar. Yeah, uh, guitar is my uh, idle hands remedy. So, I, you know, guitar has been the thing that I'll grab and sit when I'm doing nothing and just kind of like dabble around and, you know, powder all over it. And so I can say it starts there. Um, the question of what comes first, the, the, the music or the lyrics or the chicken mm. or the egg kind of yeah, thing, yeah. I don't have a straightforward answer right. for that because sometimes it's the opposite. Sure. Uh, but I do like to start with guitar and I do like... Uh, um, I like to start with poetry sometimes too. I mean, I end up writing a lot of poetry I can't turn into music. I can't figure out how, you know, I'm not an ABAB kind of person. I just write stuff down. Right. Um, Choruses are tough, man. Yeah. Like, have you ever ever written a song and you're like, I would feel guilty if I tried to write a catchy chorus to this. Like I was, I don't know, selling out or, or what have you to say. Yeah, I, I don't know. I It's not in me. I don't feel. <laughs> so I wrote a song, and I don't play it anymore. And after having said this out loud, I think I'm going to go home and, and remember how to play it. But, you should. Uh, so the song was about, uh, let's see, how do I say how it was about? It had multiple meanings, and I did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to try like an Elton John style writing where these words have multiple meanings, and I know for a fact you're going to hear it a way that's different than I intended it. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm going to set it up that way. So I use this allegory of the sun uh, c- going away, coming back. And I, I have this intent behind it. And uh, anyway, I write the song and it just sounds hokey. The words are so <laughs> simple and hokey and stuff. But every single person that heard it, they're like, oh, that hit me. Man, I, I understand exactly what you were trying to get across. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, you like that one? Did you hear this one where I'm like, bloop, 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 and all yeah. of a sudden, like, yeah, yeah, forget all that. That's cool, too. But right. this one, you know, I like the way you just said that straight out. And I was like, all right. So there's there's some credence to the simplicity of some of these songs. I yeah. don't have to prove anything to anyone at any time, really. But uh, with some of these songs, you can 
let the ones that sound poppy happen. Let them emerge. See sure. what they do, you know? Yeah. Because- uh, you don't have to play them for people. No, but I mean, I maybe <laughs> don't should kill be. them. <laughs> I maybe should be. You yeah. know, uh, don't scrub them because some people might be like, "Hey, I really like that song. I wish I could hear a you know a ten thousand dollar production of that song." And you're like, "Really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> can we make that happen? Let's work that out." But um, a good example of kind of what I'm trying to explain is a band called Mastodon that I really like. Mm-hmm. Mastodon went really hard back in the day. They were heavy, punky, like driven metal music. And then just like many other bands, at a certain point, they release an album of music that's highly produced, very polished, and misses some of the edge that people really liked, you know, the the dirty grittiness. And uh, they lost a lot of followers that way, but they gained even more because yeah. uh, there's something to be said for embracing that simplicity. Like they still sounded like Mastodon. These, these songs still sounded like them, but they were polished. They didn't give you um, the grit and, and grime that their other stuff did, uh, but they didn't lose their core. And so I think you have to be willing to allow that to happen as a creative artist. If you're honing in on your style, let it, yeah. let it happen. Well, there's, there are hardcore fans that will say Metallica derailed with the Black Album. Oh, yeah. But the Black Album's what sells their tours. That's right. And it just, it is what it is. Dude, I listen to Load and Reload. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not ashamed. I, right. I, you know, sure, it might not sound like old Metallica, but consider it a different band if you got to. It's good sure. sounds. Listen to these sounds. Sure. <laughs> When you're writing songs and they start to take shape, um, number one, do you hear the arrangements in your head of where it could go? <clears throat> yes. And I think there's a path of least resist- resistance to get there. Like I can tell if I'm trying too hard. Mm. If I am, I may not hear like in some sort of Beethoven-esque way, like the whole mm. orchestration, that that would be marvelous. <laughs> uh, but I can tell if I've veered off the path, like, okay, you're trying too hard to prove a point here, or mm. you tried to, uh, you got away from, again, that simplicity or whatever. But uh, even with playing guitar, sometimes you're, you'll fall into what the song asks for. Like you might accidentally keep hitting this note and then finally you're like, that note belongs there. That's part of the, right. the vibe. That's why, I, you know, that's why it keeps emerging. Uh, so yeah, I think sometimes you just have to kind of get out of the way and let, let it emerge and i guess i forgot your question again so oh, clearly i rambled if, but if you hear the arrangement yeah uh, it you have to be willing to go away from the arrangement you might yeah. have in your head or your expectations allow things to emerge naturally and organically but um sometimes yeah i have a direction you know i want it to kind of stay and especially with structure as a percussionist or rhythm person structure is most important like sure. I, I know where the change has to happen um and as long as i stick to that anything else can kind of emerge you know now, I, I wonder, especially when I'm listening to people like yourself that are very, you're kind of your own style. You know, it's hard to say, this guy sounds like such and such. Right. You know, sometimes when people, when there are people like that where you're like, well, he doesn't sound like anybody in particular. And you listen to them, and they're like, oh, yeah, I was just trying to be like that guy. Right. So when you're writing something, do you ever start a song and you're like, well, this is kind of like this person or like that person? Yes. Um, and it happens sometimes if I'm really spending time with an album, uh, another person's album, or mm-hmm. um, you can hear the influence. And it, it's my opinion that influence is okay. It's good. Oh, we yeah. all have influence. You should embrace it a little bit. Don't try to be someone else. Like they're guaranteed to be better at being them than you are, I promise. So, <laughs> well, nothing exists in a vacuum. Right. And Just, yeah. We, some people spend time really emulating. I saw a, a short video the other day where this guy got the exact same face tattoos as his favorite rapper. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, really? Um, and so 
let yourself be influenced. If I were to sit down, and I love when that happens, people are like, who influences your music? This soft, gentle, percussive, acoustic guitar finger style stuff. And I'm like, ah, you know. Megadeth. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I like Lamb of God. Yeah. I like Pink Floyd. They're like, whoa, 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 what? We were thinking like, you know, Ray LaMontagne or something. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of influences that all come in accumulation. But I remember, do you know who Alexi Murdoch is? Have you ever no. heard of him? Um, I found him in the same vein as the Nick Drake thing. He was probably a person my age who was recreating that, that style of finger style. And uh, listening to his album over and over and over again, I started writing music and I was like, okay, you're, you're finger picking that way now. Yeah. You can kind of hear it. Don't let yourself play the same chords he plays because <laughs> <laughs> right. you're going to fall too throw close. A, throw a capo on there. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I embrace some degree of influence. I think it's impossible to escape. And so, like, and that's, that's an umbrella statement for more than more than music, but, um, you know, I let, I let those things shine sometimes. I like to think my use of reverb most recently is, uh, Gilmore-esque. I'm paying yeah. homage to, yeah. to Gilmore. Yeah. If you were to choose songs that are not your own, if you were to choose like three, four, five songs that you consider to be just a great example of a well-written song, like what would, what are the first songs you think of? <clears throat> Even if they're obscure. Especially uh, if they're obscure, yeah. Because then I'll go listen to them and find new music, so absolutely. Uh, there's a song called Drive Home by Stephen Wilson. That song is, I can't, like I cry. I can listen to it and I'm like, what kind of beauty is this? And uh, so that's, that. he's from a band called Porcupine Tree in the UK. And they're very, they're capable of being harder rock, but something about this song is just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that's an example of good songwriting, I would say. Another would be, um, <clears throat> don't think twice, I already said that out loud. That's a heart-wrenching bit, and it's very clearly spoken, the words that rip your heart apart. I love that. I think it's a great song. Um, and then another by name, let's see here. Hmm. I got to put Pink Floyd on the list, man. Yeah. I got to, yeah. Um, and in fact, I'm going to go in a territory most people wouldn't quote, and I'm going to say their album, Division Bell, is full of gorgeous, mature songwriting. I love that. It's record. so, so good. And, <laughs> you know, I, I love that I got to be born in the 90s. I was yeah. born in 1990, and so I grew up with my dad listening to that, taking mm. me to school, and uh, I didn't understand how uh, emotional that album mm. is until I was an adult, and it's still I'm still learning from it. I can still listen to it, and it still gets me. Um so there's a there's a chemistry there and a formula I think that they, after forty years of playing together, started to hone in on, mm -hmm. and they were mm -hmm. like, okay, we don't have anything else to prove. Let's just write our hearts, like write these songs. Well, and it's a little bit too that it was just like kind of David Gilmore's thing at it's that true. point. Yeah. And you you heard of the band the War on Drugs? No. Okay. If you listen to uh, Coming Back to Life off of Division Bell, I cover that one. Yeah. It's oh, you do? I do. It's a I great love album. That song. And then if you listen to the band War on Drugs, you're like, they they are babies of that song. Hmm. Like it's it's such they a, took that flavor and they just made it is that flavor. Uh, and it's but that's that's awesome, oh, man. It goes back in like we were talking about Metallica had a period of time that people they lost some of their old fans. Like you sound different now. Yeah, yeah. Like well, they're just pioneering something. You know, uh, 
whatever they're into now, why don't you form a band that sounds like what you liked of them? Sure. Or, uh, yeah. In the same way, uh, Animals was a great Pink Floyd album. Ooh, Fantastic album. Them, yeah. Sounds way different. Different, more aggressive animal yeah. than Division Bell. Or that, And that's Roger Waters. That's, right. I mean, that's, it's like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Sure. I mean, but but I could stay in the same boat. Uh, Piper the Gates of Dawn is some freakish, like early emergence yeah. of the same people. You sure. Know? So um, if I were to just hear Division Bell and really fall in love with that without hearing the rest of the repertoire and start a band that sounds similar to that, mm. it doesn't mean our band sounds like Pink Floyd. It's, it means our band sounds like 1990s Pink Floyd. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. I. Yeah. Pink Who Floyd. are your favorite songwriters? <clears throat> Nick Drake, right off the rip. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Wilson has carved his way in there as being the, the person I quoted earlier, mm-hmm. listening to his ability to write, uh, prog rock, uh, traditional metal and rock, and then get into some sort of weird pop thing he's doing now, <laughs> electro pop. Yeah. Uh, lots of appreciation for his versatility there. Um, and a third man, there's a guy named John Martin, not the local John Martin who some of us may know, <clears throat> but, uh, his last name is spelt with a Y mm. and, uh, he was able to uh, be writing songs in the 70s that, that were very... Did he do May You Never? Yeah. Is that him? Yeah, yeah. he did May... I'm yeah. so glad that you know that he wrote that song, <laughs> yeah. too. Eric, I'm trying to learn that. <laughs> yeah, Eric Clapton covered that song yeah. and did a good job. But uh, So John Martin, if you have time to dive into his repertoire, mm-hmm. it's a treat, man. Excellent. And something I can tell you about him was he was actually uh, Nick Drake's best friend. And... John Martin's first album, Solid Air, that got popular was written about the loss of Nick Drake because he was inspired by the sadness Nick Drake had of, Nick Drake was always told, you're something special, you're gifted, we're going to put you on tour on Island Records and people are going to come and enjoy your music and no one would give him attention, nobody would show up mm. and it baffled his mind. He's like, you tell me I'm so good, but I'm, I'm sad because nobody, the world doesn't convey this to me. Right. So anyway, when he was lost, uh, John Martin started writing a song specifically Solid Air about his buddy going too far. Like you went, mm. you went too far into the other side and we couldn't get you back. Uh, well, that album made him famous, made his, his whole career. Um, and it's kind of wild how that works. But looking at the story from the outside, sure. I can put myself in his shoes and go, wow, your songwriting really is coming from a place of you never say Nick's name. You never tell us exactly who you're writing about or what's fueling this, but like I mentioned earlier, he's being allegorical. He's kind of talking in circles and letting you put yourself where you need to be when you hear these songs uh, without knowing too much of his business. Because sure. if you get too into the drama of the names and things like that, then you're kind of missing missing the mark. It I locks think. you into a certain yeah. box. Right. Yeah. But yeah, if, you, if it's given to you in, and you're able to make it apply to your own life. Yep. And that's, that's what the best music does. The best music, you're able to, to hear it and say, this is my life right now. And then you hear it five years later and you go, well, this is my life right now for a completely different reason. Right. And then it had absolutely nothing to do with it when they wrote it. That, I mean, that's the beauty of art. That's right. And I think uh, if you if you can get around, if you can word things properly, you can allow that to, to transcend time. You really can have yeah. music that can be listened to 50, 60 years later. You know, maybe learning this is why Taylor Swift stopped using names in her songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's just tired of the giving interviews. Yeah. Having to explain herself. Yep. <laughs> well, this kind of dovetails us into my next question. I always ask, um, even though that these days we are definitely in a market where it's all about singles, it's all about the big radio bop that's hitting, but 
what's your favorite records? What's an album you're going to put on and you're that's 40 minutes you've committed? So I am a, a vinyl record collector mm-hmm. and I started off trying to take on any vinyl records I could get and I quickly realized they're <laughs> heavy as crap and yeah. they're just, they're huge and bulky. So I'm careful to only buy my very favorite records and I have a, a nice dear collection of those things, modern and old. Um, and so I can easily say... Of course, Dark Side of the Moon is mm-hmm. probably one of the most well-written albums of all time, in rock music especially. Um, the Raven Who Refused to Sing by Stephen Wilson was released in 2012. In front to back, dude, this thing, I bought it on vinyl just so I could put a needle on it and, and hear it like it was written. Uh, front to back is, is gorgeous. Um, <laughs> this one is probably not going to be uh, agreed to by anyone else, but... Uh, one of the coolest records that I found is an album uh, very blatantly called 666 by an, a, a band called Aphrodite's Child. And this is a special album because <clears throat> it was well produced, well put together, and very well written with this concept that was uh, biblical in nature, very big and like important to these, these songwriters. But they veiled it by the album art being bright red with the number 666 <laughs> on it, and no one would sell it. No one would put it on their shelf because they're like, we're not having right. that shit in here, you know? Right. <clears throat> so it fell to the wayside, and the only people who know this album seem to be rock stars, seem <laughs> to be people who know rock and roll and would go to record stores and flip through infinite records until yeah. they'd find special things. And, of course, the Rebels would pick up the bright red album that says 666 and go, I've oh, never seen this, you yeah. know? Um, it's weird. I will let you know. I see you writing it down. Yeah. It is rock and roll. It's It's fun. There's some psychedelia in there and then at the end of the album if you manage to make it that far it gets into some very like primal-esque they 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 sort of made the most primal aspects of the human experience into music somehow and it gets very bizarre but if you're willing to give that an ear shot man (laughs) it's very special and uh, i've heard all kinds of people quote that as being a pinnacle rock album that nobody talks about and uh I really could go on more than three, man. I'm reminded immediately of a big star and number one record. Mm. That was a fantastic record. Yeah. And anybody who knows about that puts it on the top of their list too. Sure. And, uh, yeah, man, there's just so many. I could go on and on and on and I'm willing to listen to more than rock and roll. So it, it's all over the place. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. What are you currently working on? <clears throat> I'm being pretty quiet. I've been a recluse uh, in the, the recent past for a number of reasons. Uh, just growing up, going into my 30s kind of hit me like a bat, you know, a brick mm, wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I've been writing a little bit and I've been recording a little bit. I don't know that I'll do the single thing again. I'd like to build up for a record, and even if it takes me a year, and then just put it out there. Uh, for a while, I wanted to do a record a year. And at this time in my life, I just don't want to put too much pressure on myself for anything. Yeah. So I'm just trying to be easy going. You know, I got time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I've been dabbling in uh, all kinds of uh, shaking hands with that machine. I've got some stuff that's very ambient and uh, Brian Eno-y that, mm-hmm. that I'm adding lyrics and some some Gilmore guitar too. And then I've got some stuff that's kind of glitchy sounding where I'm playing with pads. And um, yeah, I'm just throwing a lot of lures in the water. And I'm going to see awesome. what kind of fish I can pull in. And if it, nobody likes it, I will. So that's, that's what's up. Very cool, <laughs> man. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. Uh, thank you for coming today. I sure appreciate uh, it, Eric. I loved hearing your stories and, and getting to know you a little better. Will you leave us with one more song? I sure will. What uh, do you got for us? I'm going to do a song 
uh, called Media. And uh, I don't have to tell you too much about where that's going to go, but this song was definitely written in 2020, uh, and it was written in frustration a little bit uh, with the fact that I was fighting with some of my most beloved friends and mm -hmm. didn't know why. I didn't do anything, neither did they. Mm -hmm. But there was this animosity between people, and it broke my heart a little bit. And so short of having a debate with those friends, which I don't enjoy, I would rather talk about nothing than uh, be going against a, a best friend or somebody who I, who I love. You know, I hated yeah. seeing people's brows furrow at me for an opinion or the right. vice versa. That was no fun. So uh, the song Media is just sort of my decree of uh, we're all a little confused, I think, of what's going on in the world and be careful where you get your information from. Sounds That's good, all. man. Let's hear it. <laughs> gotcha.
lives of your news and Do you think that all those who cry tell you the truth Because the soothsayer tries not to look you in the eye While the timing of his smile seems aloof And you all follow blindly Prophet of the times we consider our minds our own But we're unhappy when we find that their motives were unkind We're reminded of the vows that were spoken Like the heart of the sunshine, the eye of the moon if you don't believe this, they will call you a loon And I might be a person, but I'm not sure about you If I can't stare at the sunshine, I'll howl at the moon Man, that guy can play guitar. I wish you were sitting here with me seeing him do this, but come out Friday, June 17th, and see him, myself, Ron Daniel, Dan Riley, and Anna Crosby at Ron's album release party at Coastal Coffee Roasters. I'll post about it on the Songs of the Unsung Facebook page. If you're not following us, songsoftheunsung.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I'll see you next time. Thank you.